Good morning. Some of you uh, maybe don't know me. Uh, it's been a year, I think. Brother Pastor, when did you? When was your first Sunday officially? Yes, and uh, a lot's happened to me since I was with you guys, and uh, I'm thankful for staying busy and and. But I enjoyed my time here. I um, called Brother Denver yesterday on the way up, and uh, I said, Denver, I am looking forward to coming over into God's country. I, I, I just think Tennessee is beautiful, and uh, I enjoy Tennessee people. Now, they're a little different, and I bond with that because, remember, I grew up in California. Now, if you're saying, don't you dare compare California people with Tennessee people. Well, I'm trying to, you know, break the ice here a little bit today, but it's good to see it. It's good to see familiar faces. And it's good to see new faces. And I'm glad that I have the privilege of being with you today. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. I do have my wife with me and our middle daughter, middle child, she sang. And it's good to see Dan and Kelly and um, all three of them graduated from Ambassador. And uh, I had the privilege of teaching them. The college is doing well. Enrollment's down a little bit, but we've got some good men and women uh, going again this May. We'll graduate about 50, and we have uh, over 1,000 grads really all over the world now, and I'm so thankful for the 30 years that God's given our college. When I left here, I started in December in Prosperity, South Carolina, First Baptist Church. And um, they were called the First Baptist Church. The church was started, I believe, in 1971 because, uh, and this is hard to believe. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with South Carolina, but folks, they've got, they've got Baptist churches on every corner. But in Prosperity, South Carolina, in the history of that little town, they never had a Baptist church. Never have had a gospel witness. So they decided to call the church First Baptist Church. Because I asked them, usually First Baptist Churches are Southern Baptists. They went through a, um, a, a downtime. Their pastor had resigned in July. And, um, you know, they just kind of muddled. And, and uh, God opened the door. It's a long story. And I walked in. And their new pastor and wife started this past June. Well, when July came... Um, you know, I was waiting to see where God wanted me to go. And we get calls. I'm, folks, our, our Bible college is not a big Bible college, about 140 this year. But our little school gets calls every week from basically the Midwest, North and South of churches that are without pastors, pastors that want assistant pastors. And uh, it's just getting more and more intense. And you church members remember I talked about this phenomenon. It's not going away. And I'm thankful that you got a good pastor. Now, you got a better wife and missus. But remember, uh, she, listen, I, I told you guys, get Ann Wagner and let Brother Wagner come along. And you listen. Um, but I'm thankful that this church, where I have many dear friends, I'm glad God gave you a pastor. I want to remind the, the people that were here during that time when we worked together, there are, listen, not hundreds, there are thousands of churches in America that would give anything to have the Wagners come. 
I only tell my friends that. Some of you visitors might think that sounds offensive or who is he to talk to us like that? Well, you have to know Brother Spencer, right? But my friends that are members of this church and faithful, pray for your pastor. Pray for his dear wife. Pray for the bishops now that they've come alongside Brother Wagner and want to be a blessing to you. Um, I want to preach to you a message. We'll read one verse and then I'll give you the title. It's not um, necessarily a positive message, but it certainly is a timely message. Considering what in the world is on the news. I mean, from the time I left you guys a year ago in November, this country has gone wacky. Am I telling the truth? But you know, some of the mob terroristic and the crazy things that we've all been witnessing, as James points out, Sometimes that kind of behavior can happen in a local church. Look at James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Heavenly Father, we come to the, the Word of God, this part of the service that is the most important. Father, it is your will to speak to your children, and I pray you would do that. Lord, I pray if anyone's here without Christ, that something in this message would remind them again that they're lost, undone in their sins. And may they be saved today. Thank you for this good church. Thank you, Lord, that it's still a lighthouse. And Lord, it loves you and it loves your music and your word. Bless, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach a message entitled, and this is a strange title, but I'm going to show you. How to pick a fight with God. How to pick a fight with God. You think anybody would be so dumb as to pick a fight with God? But believers do it every week. Every Sunday. I want you to notice the first thing James says in verses 1 through 3. He talks about the process of this conflict. What conflict? Well, Pastor James, who's pastoring the first church in Jerusalem, He's talking to all believers, but particularly to his church. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? The word wars there um, is our, in the Greek, it's the word polemic. We know that English word, don't we? He says, where do these long, prolonged uh, uh, battles go on? Where do they come from? And then the word fightings refers to individual skirmishes. And on any given Sunday, in some churches, there might be everything from a full-blown blown war going on to little skirmishes between deacons or families or husbands and wives. And listen, it happens. This church um, has always been a loving church. When I came in for about the three months I was here, uh, uh, you folks were so kind to me. I knew my place. I knew I was only here by permission of the church to pray down God's man. And we prayed a lot about that. And God sent you his choice to be your pastor. But just because you got your pastor doesn't mean that without the word of God, and listen, without this message today, you are still in danger of always having these skirmishes. And notice he says in number one, the process of this conflict. How do churches get to the place where they have wars and they have little fightings? He tells you in verse 1, he says, Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? 
You see, when conflicts happen in church, they always start in the hearts of people. No one gets up in this pulpit. Pastor Wagner doesn't get up and say, I think we just need to have a good fist fight. I think we just need to put it down and we just need to clear the air. No, no good pastor talks like that. But a good pastor knows from time to time, as well as the deacons and good faithful members, we've got some issues. We've got some problems. And do you know, James tells us that when there are fightings or wars going on in church, they all started in the hearts of carnal people. Do you know, this is interesting, that word lust in, in verse 1 is from a word, again, it's the word hedonay. We get hedonism from it. Remember what hedonism is? Hedonism is the, the thinking, the philosophy that you do what gives pleasure to yourself. Back when I was a young man in the hippie days, I wasn't old enough to be a hippie. I was a 70s generation, but I used to watch the hippies with their banners and posters and their marches. By the way, we had marches in the 60s, didn't we adults? Older adults, didn't we have marches? Brother Adams, you were in the army, Vietnam. We had marches, but they weren't anything like what's going on now. And they used to say things like, if it feels good, do it. Paul says that within a local church, if God's people aren't careful, wars and fightings can happen because there are people that are not carefully guarding their minds and their hearts. And they, they begin to listen to the world. And the world begins to tell them, you know, you deserve a break today. You deserve to have it your way. If it feels good, do it. And James guarantees that this conflict that starts in church first started in the believer's heart. We need to be on guard. The world is constantly trying to get us to live for pleasure. But Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war in your soul. Listen, that idea of hedonism, that particular type of lust, do what feels good. You need to have it your way. You deserve. I hear that word used in advertising, Brother Wendell, constantly. You deserve. You deserve. Doesn't anyone want to stop? as a believer, and say, that's what the world may tell me, but I know what I deserve, and I th am thankful Jesus Christ came to take away that which I deserved, and that's an eternity in hell. We are blessed, as the trio sang. And you see, if you and I don't get control of that worldly thinking, and it begins to swell in our heart, it will turn into something very, very ugly. Look at verse 2. He says, ye lust. Now, that word's the, the, the most common word in our New Testament. It just means a craving, a desire. And he says, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Do you see how intensely when believers begin to think like the world and they begin to assume things. And, and listen, the intensity grows. I have been in churches. Thank the Lord, not this church. But there have been churches before you where I saw things going on amongst the members that would make me shake my head and think, Lord, if you do not intervene, this church will kill itself. The anger would be so intense and open 
People would fight at every business meeting. They would constantly fight the deacons at every term, and they did it openly. It's scary. By the way, it's scary to be in a local church when that type of thing's going on. Listen, did you notice that he says in verse 2, when you don't get your way, when you lust and you don't get it, you, you're, you're willing to kill. You're willing to desire, and if you can't obtain it, you're going to fight in war. Jesus really used the same language in Matthew 5, verse 21, when he said, Whosoever is angry, angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, Whosoever hateth his brother... I have been in churches and tried to help when the hate was so intense, my heart would be broken. I thought, I don't want to live my career. I don't want to live the rest of my Christian life hating anybody, but especially my brother or sister in Christ. I was back up in Hendersonville um, last, just before school got out in the spring semester, and I did a homecoming. And I got to go back and, and see the people. Wow, what a different church. Pastor Ken Mason, pastors Calvary Baptist in Hendersonville. Folks, that was one of the most, and he, he, he doesn't know the fighting that went on. He's only heard stories. But the two deacons that tried to hold the church together, they're still there. They have more deacons now. But I remember going to the very first meeting. It was a men's meeting. It was on a Saturday. I had met with the one deacon on Thursday at the Cracker Barrel, and for two hours he wept. This guy's a professional. He has his own business. But he said, I cannot, my wife and I cannot take this anymore, Brother Spencer. Can you help Danny? Danny was the other deacon. Can you help us? And he would tell me things. They had death threats constantly. Um, things put on their porch that were disgusting. And these were just two men who were from that area of Hendersonville, Asheville. And the things that were happening to them, I sat there in total disgust, thinking it's not right for deacons to have to be treated this way. Well, I went to it. He said, would you come Saturday? And I went. There were about 30 men in their fellowship room. 15 sat on one side on these chairs against this wall, and 15 sat on this side in chairs, and they stared at each other. So when I walked in, you know, I thought, okay, this is a split. And I, I, I opened the Word of God, I read this passage, and I said, men, I don't know any of you. Can I, I just want to venture to guess that the fightings and the wars that are going on are because of your selfishness. And I said, if something doesn't happen, wouldn't you men at least agree your church is done? Let me guess because you're mountain people that at one time you, you, you grew together, you went to school together, you were best friends, and all of a sudden the men... They were just stiff. They began to put their head down. And as I went through this uh, very quickly, three hours later, these men were in a circle, the middle, and they were weeping and they were grabbing each other, they were hugging and crying and asking for forgiveness. It was a miracle. It really was. And I said, go home, because now the work really starts, fellas, your wives you got to go home and convince your wives that Christ loves this church and he will restore it. Folks, um, to make a long story short, some of the people that were really in control of that church, family, it was an extended family, 
they begin to lose control as Christ began to come down. And they, there was an older gentleman, Brother Hampton, uh, he went. I couldn't do it because I had another church, but Brother Hampton and his godly, she was 77 years old, his wife. He was 75. And she was so godly in such bad health. But just their presence there for six months, God used their godly presence to bring a peace down to the church, but not before the people. Uh, when they voted on their new pastor, Brother Hampton told me that people stood up after the vote, and the vote was very high for that church. They stood up and yelled as they left the building. Some of them called the sheriff and said, told them there was some kind of child abuse going on right now in the service. It was a lie. Another group called the um, IRS to say the church had been cheating, and it was a lie. I ministered to those people. One night while I was trying to, uh, I only went for about a month, and then I had to get Brother Hampton, because the other church I was helping was getting close. And I remember on a Sunday night, a woman stood up in the back, and she began to scream, just yell, during my preaching. And she was mad, and she was threatening. Well, the first thing I thought is, what in the world? So I just came down from the pulpit. And I said, ma'am, I said, you need to hush. This is God's house. These are God's people. I'm preaching. And she said, I'm not going to hush and you can't talk to him that way. So I just, I said, ma'am, with all due respect, you need to be quiet and you're going to be quiet. And I walked right up to her and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ and the sanctity of this body, you need to hush. And she began to cry and wail. And I said, ma'am, it's obvious you're hurting. We all know that. But this just isn't the place to try to cause a war or try to attack God's people. I promise you, I will sit down with you and I'll talk to you. And she ran out. That was the beginning. And after they voted, people stood up. It was about a group of 12 here and over here, and they had done this ahead of time. And they yelled. They yelled at their own church family. This isn't going to happen. We'll get even. And like I said, one group went and called the sheriff and lied. Another group ended up calling the IRS. God took care of that. You ought to see the church now. They have a great pastor, and he loves them, and he's a, he's a Yankee. He doesn't quit. And he loves them. And the church is triple. And it's a lot of young couples with kids. Some of the old faithful members, when I was there for homecoming, they walked up to me and hugged me and said, Brother Spencer, it's so good to see you. Oh, we just can't believe what God's done in our church. I said, it's been hard, but was it worth it? Oh, with tears. They said, yes. Oh, yes. Some of you, before you came to Bible Baptist Church, you told me about churches you were in. You've seen the fightings and the wars, and you know how internally it just devastates the spirit of God's people. Can I tell you something? It devastates teenagers and children, too. And I'll tell you, they don't forget those scenes. I have students at the college, when we discuss business meetings and, and, and heartaches and heresies, you ought to listen to these Bible college students. Uh, they're going to be pastors and and evangelists and missionaries, and, and they'll say, I saw this, and it took me years, and even now, Brother Spencer, I struggle. The devil knows how to get people stirred up, but he can do a lot better when he's got carnal people who are worldly. Listen, I'm going to move very fast now. Number one, 
the process of conflict in the church is not because of what the church is doing. It began in their hearts. They began to love the things of the world. And when you and I begin to love the things of the world, Satan has open power in our lives. Stay with me. Number one, he talks about the process of the conflict. It always starts in us. And when we can't get our way, we're willing to to get angry, to kill. That's the way God looks at it. That word in verse three, he says, some people will go so far as to pray. He says, you have uh, in verse two. Yet you have not because you ask not. You ask. In other words, you ask God and receive not. Why? I have been in the presence of very angry believers. Usually I'm always with the deacons. Because, as I told the good people of this church when I came, I wasn't here to join. I wasn't here to run the church. I put the pressure on the deacons. You guys remember that, right? I said, you men were chosen by the Lord. Larry, you remember that for a time such as this. And yes, we would talk about issues that were pending. Yes, there were things that the church, God had to come down and deal with some things. And I held the deacons responsible and praised the Lord. The one thing I can tell you about the deacons, they begged God for wisdom and God gave it to them. You folks that were here, you remember how strong your deacons were. And I pray for those guys every day. I, I, I would talk to them, not just when I come on Saturday, Sunday. And I was thankful for them. The deacons down at First Baptist Prosperity, um, the, the five guys, they weren't getting along real well. And I said to them, okay, here's my first stipulation. You guys have to be united. Remember we talked about that? Everything the deacons would decide, as long as I was here, you had to be unanimous. I need that spirit. They needed that spirit. And it began to rub off on you guys. You saw your deacons and their wives getting excited and and the unity God was giving the deacons and their wives. And then the good people began to see that's the way we need to be in our church. Because, folks, if I've learned anything, it's that even good churches, when a pastor leaves, are open to worldly thinking. And if you just get one woman or one man or one family that wants their way, boy, I'll tell you, they begin to say and do things to the point where you'd look at them and say, are you even saved? How could you be so cruel and mean and do these things? Well, that's all James is saying. Do you know, I have heard people in anger say to me, well, bless God, I can't stand what's going on. And I've begun praying that God will kill a deacon. And he'd name the deacon. I'd just sit there and go, you did what? It happens. And that's what James says. He says, you get so angry, you begin to pray to God. But watch this. He says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. That word amiss means sickly. Sickly, miserably, a diseased request. God says, I'm not going to answer that type of a prayer because all you're going to do is squander and fulfill your lust. That word lust is again that word hedonism. Some people want what they want so badly. The will of God is not even on their radar anymore. It happens even in good churches. Number one, the process of the conflict. Number two, quickly, the prominence of the conflict. Do you realize that what James is about to share with us is so true? And if you're here today, look, I'm not your enemy. But if you are angry, you're to the point as a member 
that you are causing conflict in this local body. You need to be made aware by the Spirit of God and the Word of God that that conflict is not Brother Wagner's fault. It is not the deacon's fault. It is something that the world and Satan has gotten a hold of you. And if you're not careful, you can end up being an enemy of God. It happens, it happens every Sunday. Look what he says in this prominence of the conflict. First, he talks about the declaration of war. Verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That word enmity means hostility or hatred. Even a believer in a local church, when they become out of control in their spirits, they become angry at their own brothers and sisters, which Jesus claimed before a holy God is equal with murder. That when you begin doing this and you set yourself up against the church of Jesus Christ, you have just picked a fight with God. Twice in verse 4, notice twice, he says, when we love the world's thinking, and by the way, the world is all about, Satan and the world are all about you getting your will. Oh my word, folks, if you turn on the TV, if you look at ads on social media, they're constantly telling you, your life isn't good enough. It's, you're not blessed, you need to do this, you need to... Get a new wife, get a new truck, get a new house, get a new career. Hey, go to a different church. Satan will always keep us discontented. Unwilling to see the blessings God has given us. I want to speak to you about that tonight out of Philippians. Being contented. You know, I've never seen a time in the 37 years my wife and I have been in ministry together. I have never seen a time both in America where people, especially young people, have become so angry and unthankful about being American. And I've seen the same thing in churches. When did we lose the sense of awe and wonder at being saved and having a loving church and being just a part of it? Hey, everyone in this church knows there's no perfect saints in this church. We're thankful we can gather together. Not in the name of Walter Wagner, not in the name of Joel Spencer, in the name of Jesus Christ. And God says, if you want to continue to have your way and you want to continue to think worldly, God says twice, you are an enemy of God. You say, now, I, I would never, ever be so stupid to pick a fight with God, and yet some Christians do it every day of their life. I want you to see not just the declaration of war, but the declaration of Scripture, verse 5. Do ye, do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? What is, what is James talking about? I believe he's talking about the blessed presence of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Do you know that God dwells in you? You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 6. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. Therefore, you're to glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Can you imagine what the Holy Spirit of God, how he grieves when he knows that there's a member or a, a, a woman or a man or maybe a family and they sit with seething anger in a local church service. The Spirit of God is not only 
uh, indwelling them, but he's present in the corporate gathering of his people. And yet he grieves. He's quenched because of the hatred and the intense, almost willing to kill. I want my way. God says, okay, you stepped over a line. Your problem isn't that deacon anymore. Your problem isn't that family anymore. Your problem is not the pastor. You stepped over a line. Your problem's with me. You have picked a fight with me. The Spirit of God. We're reminded in Galatians 5.17, Paul said, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that we would. Every day, we need to be careful, because we're being led. You, you know, I think a lot of believers, we think sometimes we're so smart and we've been in the Bible so long and, you know, we've got degrees and I've been teaching Sunday school. I've been, listen, that's pride. We need to be aware that every day we're conscious the world, the flesh and the devil are immediately leading us. And we need to be humble and be led by the Holy Spirit of God and the word of God. I got to move quickly. I finally got to watch it has a beeper on it. And I see you still have this clock up here. That's good. Brother Wagner probably never looks at it, but I just did. I want you to see under this prominence of the conflict, the declaration of war in verse 4, the declaration of Scripture, verse 5, and then the declaration of God, verse 6. God says, as a believer, when you become the focal point of fightings and war, and you don't even stop to think that all this has happened because of your spirit in your inner person where you become hedonistic and selfish. He says, God says, when you bring it to the church, you've now crossed the line. You have you've announced that you're an enemy of mine. God says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. When I was with you guys, I used to tell you an E-T-H ending on a verb in our King James Bibles was telling us continuous action. It's an ongoing thing. So go back and read verse 6. But he is always giving more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God is always resisting the proud, but he's always giving grace unto the humble. That's just the way God is. If you came in today and... And you have this desire. You've got to get what you want. You're angry that things aren't the way you want them. You've been warned. Because when you bring it into the church family, God says, okay, you crossed the line. Your problem's not with a deacon, with a pastor, with a family. Your problem's with me now. And I will continue to resist you until you get your heart right and you humble yourself. And then when you'll do that, I'll give you much grace. Well, there are three points to my message. Number one, the process of the conflict, it always begins in our hearts. Number two, the prominence of the conflict is when it starts overflowing into our church family. And we became, become the source of discord among the brethren and anger and bitterness. Number three, the peace from the conflict. The peace from the conflict. I'm going to move quickly, and when a Baptist preacher says that, it normally doesn't mean that. But I'm going to do my best. If you'll listen quickly, I'd like to show you the peace from the conflict. What's the answer, Brother Spencer? Because if Bible Baptist Church is like every other independent fundamental Baptist church I know, 
There's always going to be conflict. Now, it can be small sometimes. Sometimes it can seem like it's overwhelming. Here's the answer. Peace. Peace from God. And he gives us 10 quick commands. I've got to go quick, but I wish, listen, if I didn't preach these, I don't want to end on a negative note. God said, I will always be resisting my children who are proud and who are causing conflicts and wars. Listen, they now have a problem with me. They picked a fight with me. That's my church. I want to end on the positive note, the peace from the conflict. Notice there are 10 quick commands. Number one in verse seven, submit yourselves, therefore to God. Do you realize that word submit literally has the idea of to put your, you, by an act of your will, place yourself under. The American Christians have a hard time sometimes. And yet the Bible is full of submission. We're told in Romans that we're to submit to government, wives to husbands, younger to older, servants to masters in Titus 2, believers to each other, Ephesians 5. God never forces his children to obey He wants them to do it by their will. Number two, it says resist the devil. The word resist is the same word used earlier in our Bible where it says God resisteth the proud. Did you know it's a military term? Which is kind of appropriate for the theme of wars and fightings. The word literally means to stand and hold ground. And listen, we're never told to chase the devil, attack the devil. That that would be dumb. He's way too powerful. But we're told that we can stand our ground. And sometimes, members, those of you that have stayed and not left, yeah, Brother Spencer's not that. I know what's going on. I do a lot of church work. And there are people that have left this church in one year, right? Come on, folks. Get mad at me. I'm leaving tonight, remember? Best thing you can do, church members, is resist the devil. You stand your ground as a deacon, Sunday school teacher, as a faithful member, choir member, whatever, as a faithful member, you hold your ground and you make sure this church has faithful people. But you must submit. You must resist the devil. And then number three, notice he goes on to say, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. It's interesting that God never leaves. The Lord Jesus is not the one that leaves. But until we're willing to submit and take our, by an act of our own will, the decision that I am not going to quit on this church and I'm not going to get my way, I want Christ's way. Lord, help me and the other members and our pastor to resist the devil. Well, then you will draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Number four, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. One of the things that the world loves to do to us is dirty our hands and our feet, and our minds. The word cleanse here means to make completely clean. Aren't you glad for 1 John 1, 9? You may have come to church today, and I don't really know you. I know some of you better. But folks, because I'm a believer and a church member, on any given Sunday, I can come into church, and there's some anger There's some bitterness I've had about something maybe that goes on in my church. And all of a sudden, a man gets up and preaches the word of God like I'm preaching today. And the spirit of God says, now, don't you walk out of this building until you're clean with me, God. Because if you walk out, my son, if you walk out, my daughter, and you have not cleansed your heart and your hands, again, I will resist you. You've picked a fight with me. This is my church. Number five, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. 
You see, after we clean our hand, after we cleanse our lifestyle, and we say no to the world, no to the devil, no to our flesh, I'm going to obey God, then we need to purify our hearts, our minds. Literally, the word purify means to make holy, to consecrate, to set apart. Ye double-minded. Again, there are people, good people. You know, they're good people. But in this last year, maybe some of the really good people, you were here with me. We remember what we got to go through together. It wasn't long, but God just began to answer prayer one after another. And in this last year, maybe you've lowered your guard a little bit. And you came to church today and you say, well, I'm double-minded. Literally, two-souled. You can't listen. You, you are going to be a target for Satan. I have watched really good members because they let something simmer in their spirits. And they just wouldn't take care of it. Within months, are gone. And no one knows why. They go, why did that man, why did that deacon leave? Why did that, that, that was my son. Why? Because I'm telling you, we've got to not just cleanse our hands. We need to cleanse the inside, the heart. That's where the battles normally first occur. He says, be afflicted. That is not Joel Osteen preaching. I, I, by the way, I turned Joel Osteen on this morning in the motel just to get my blood pressure up a little. That's how I wake up. And he was just as pretty as he's always been. But what he said was the opposite. Listen, the Bible says on your journey and my journey to be right with God and right with our church family, sometimes we need to be afflicted. The word means to be miserable, to be wretched. Paul used that word in the same word in Romans 7.24 when he said, O wretched man that I am. Oh, afflicted man, what misery I have because of sin in my life. Number seven, he says, and mourn. The word mourn speaks of a funeral grief. And listen, it's in a tense that indicates you don't do it every day. God's not telling you to run around with a pooch lip. But at some time in all our lives, when we get backslidden and we get angry and the bitterness starts to swell up as a church member, God says, now listen, before you move forward, there's got to be a, you've got to start with submission and work your way down. And you've got to become not just miserable about the way you've been as a member of this church, but you need to mourn. You say, God, I, I just haven't been right with you. I've allowed the world to change my thinking and change my heart. And Lord, I see how it tears your heart up. And Lord, I'm sorry. And I grieve over that sin. And then it says, and weep. You know, back when Katrina, um, we've had some hurricanes uh, around us. And, but Katrina, everybody remembers New Orleans. Do you realize that just weeks after Katrina devastated New, New Orleans, the mayor got up, this is within uh, 10 days, and said, you know what we need? New Orleans needs a Mardi Gras. And the first places to open were strip clubs, and bars. That man got up and told the people of, of, of his city, you know what we need? We need to enjoy sin again. Everything else will catch up. And I thought, that's the way Christians have become. They go, their goal in going to church is to have fun, to have pleasure. We've lost the sense of coming in the presence of God and being so blessed with having his blessings and and, and, and the word of God and godly music, a lot of people come because they want their way. 
God ought to make you weep the way you've been acting, and I've been acting. Psalm 51, 17, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Isaiah 66, 2, to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Number nine, let your laughter be turned. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. It's amazing. I heard a preacher say one time, it's so true that what we laugh at, what we so thoroughly enjoy, proves what's really in our hearts. You know, I would venture to say a cow doesn't ever laugh when it passes a meat market. And there are things that amazingly can easily grab your heart and my mind and my heart. And it makes us laugh and it's sin. The word heaviness, you know, that's such an interesting word. It literally has the idea of being long-faced. There are times when believers need to thoroughly get right with God. I have met Christians that laugh about their sin. They have joy in the sin of other people. God says, stop it. Stop it. That offends me. You're picking a fight with me. The world, Zodiati said, the world would take note of a few long faces as it wallows in sin. Lastly, notice how we end up in verse 10, the same way we began in verse 9, or verse 6, excuse me. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. The idea is a passive idea. In other words, let God finally humble you. Humble people, humble Christians don't fight. They don't strive and lust to have their way. They don't pray in a sick way. They let God lift them up. Number one, the process of the conflict. Any problems that ever happened while we're members in a church, it started in us. It eventually gets so intense, we cross the line and God says, now your problem is not with the deacons, the pastor. It's not with that lady. It's with me. You have begun to love yourself so much and you've listened to the world's philosophy on you deserve to have it your way. He says, now you and I are enemies. And I will continue to resist you. But if you humble yourself, I'll give you grace. Grace. 